This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to Aviation Careers Podcast. My name is Carl Valeri, and I'm joined today with Eric Crump and Paul Greco. Hey, guys, how's it going? Great. How are you? Good, good. Hola and buenos dias. <laughs> well, we are all uh, at home right now, actually doing our podcast, which is a wonderful thing. We're not on the road traveling, but we've all had some very exciting days. Some of us, uh, either because of the fact that we've been uh, doing some administrative work and others are about to jump off to go to work. Like I know, Paul, you got to go and, and do a trip. And, uh, and I also have had an exciting day with some coaching sessions and some great news for folks that got out of some interviews, uh, some interview prep we did. Uh, before we get started, I uh, kind of uh, alluded to it right there. There's a couple of announcements, a couple of things we just got to clean up here. If you're a coaching member and you signed up for coaching, uh, I understand that uh, it's been a little bit tough to get in touch with me because, because we've gotten so busy. Uh, but we do want to have more sessions with you on an individual basis. And uh, just look at our calendar. I put a link to the calendar uh, at the top of the page so you can look at mine and any of the other coaches' calendars that are on there. Uh, the coaching is uh, good for uh, interview preparation. It's also a little bit of life coaching and some career counseling. Uh, we do we do delve into finances. That's another reason that we uh, don't, and other personal issues, obviously, the reason that we do these on a, on a more individual basis. Uh, one of the things, though, that uh, I want to tell you about, which we're probably going to do close to in the future, is we're looking at setting up another section section of the website, which is for members only. If you have a membership, obviously there's all those different things that you get, the practical guide, the winter flying, and all the other uh, webinars that we have that are on the website for free. Also, of course, you get the scholarships guide that you can download with membership. But what we're going to do is going to set up another section. We're, we're not sure how we're going to do this yet, if it's going to be a forum, etc. We'd like to get your feedback on this, so go to feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com and let us know what you would like to see. We're going to start doing some maybe live webinars and answer your questions because what we're having is having so many people write into the show that uh, we're getting to that point now where we, uh, we're having a little bit difficulty trying to keep up with all the questions and uh, keep up with all the individual coaching. Uh, I know that things are going crazy with the hiring. We also want to continue down that road of, of discussing all aerospace career jobs, and I think that's really, really important. First thing, though, I want to start off with, uh, before we start uh, these questions, because we got a bunch of them, and we only have about an hour here, so we, we need to get through them as quick as possible. Tell you what, my job is really cool. I got to do something really awesome on this trip. If you get a chance, go to my Facebook page, my personal one, facebook.com slash Carl Valeri. And you can see on there a video I made, uh, usually when I'm in Costa Rica, which is a really cool place I get to visit. And the only way I get to visit is because of the fact that I'm an airline pilot. It's one of the wonderful things about this job. And uh, I was taking some video. I wanted people to hear the, the waves crashing. I'm always taking pictures. And I discovered this new live video thing on Facebook. And I said, you know what, this is kind of cool. So let me share a video of the waves crashing. And as I was paying to the left, I see this gentleman go down on one knee, and I didn't think of it, anything of it, and I, at first, and I was like, oh my gosh, I got to pan away from that, and then finally I realized, wait a minute, I think that guy's proposing, and I stopped the video, I got so excited, and I went over and I took a picture, and I wish I had, had kept the video running, because the couple did say that they uh, thought that was really cool, so there are some experiences we get to have as airline pilots, and uh, if we didn't get out and explore the world, we wouldn't be able to experience those things. Here I am in Costa Rica, able to uh, just just 
be part of that special moment with this couple. I actually took a lot of uh, photographs for them with their camera uh, on their engagement, so it was a wonderful thing. I also put some of those photos on Facebook. Some really neat things we get to do, isn't it, uh, in aviation? I'm sure Eric and also Paul have some some wonderful stories and, and special moments in their in their aviation career, and um, and we'll, we'll try to share uh, at least one of those every every uh, week or every time we talk about it. I, I share one, but next week we're going to have like Eric come up with one and Paul or Tom, whatever the co-host is. You know, just we want to share with you this wonderful life of, of aviation, whether it's, uh, you know, academia, it's in engineering, it's uh, flying airplanes or, or being an airline pilot, just some wonderful experiences. Anyway, guys, do we have any other announcements before we move forward? I forgot to ask Eric and Paul, any other announcements that are important this evening? I'm going to say no. No. No? Okay. I don't think Good. so. All um, right. Just the usual the usual awesomeness. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, awesomeness continues. Good. Good. Awesomeness is good. I just say that the coaching's been going awesome. I yeah. mean, we've been really busy with that, and uh, we've had some really, really great success with uh, helping people get where they want to go in their career and in life, and uh, it's just been a blast. And yeah. uh, so I just want to second Carl's uh, uh, feeling on the career coaching. Yeah. The, uh, as a matter of fact, Paul and I did a, a dual session the other day where the two of us uh, were in involved in a coaching session. He was getting ready for an interview and also was uh, looking at uh, another interview prep that Paul does, and uh, we discussed that, and uh, it was pretty interesting. It was a really, really interesting day. So I highly recommend looking at it. Uh, if you can't, we're going to start doing, like I said, there's going to be a, a members-only section of the site we're putting together. It might be like a bulletin board where it's it's not – it's part uh, – free but it's uh part of it's uh, only for members and uh we'll we'll give you more details later on because we're kind of working out the, all the back end right now and see how it works uh but anyway we'll let you know but we are going to do webinars uh live webinars that are only accessible to members only that's one thing we definitely are going to do and i'll let you know about those but anyway guys you ready for the questions let's get moving forward we have a lot of them and we we don't have a lot of time so uh first question comes in says hello i've been thinking lately about an accelerated flight program specifically atp all atps uh, seems like we're starting off where we left off in the last podcast. Uh, I wanted your input on if this is a good option. I'm currently a student at Utah State University and was studying to be a civil engineer, but soon found out that was not for me and found my love for flying. I haven't completed my bachelor's degree, but have enough credits to receive my associate's degree. If I go through the university, it will take me at least two years before I have my CFI and another year or so after that before I had enough hours to get hired at the regionals. My dilemma is that I want to get the bachelor's degree, but I also want to get into a career as an airline pilot as soon as possible. I don't know which is more important. So my question is, how important is it to having a bachelor's degree when getting jobs with the airlines? Is an ATP a good option for accelerating my training and getting in, into a job with the regionals in two years? By ATP, he means all ATPs. Uh, does all ATPs or Utah State University look better on a resume and way better in getting a job? Are there other accelerator programs that could get me from an associate's to a bachelor's as well as get me all the necessary ratings and experience? This kind of a last-minute question I'm trying to, to make, so uh, or decision he's trying to make. So feel free to do a podcast on it, but I'd love to get some feedback via email and other means as soon as one of your teams has time. If uh, this question would be better served as a session in the career counseling, I'd 
I'd be happy to make an appointment as soon as possible. Thanks for the time you spend doing this. It is making a positive difference in so many lives and families. I wanted to read the last part and just comment on that first. If you feel like you need something right away and you need a, a session, a coaching session, etc., cetera, uh, when you write into feedback at Aviation Careers Podcast, there's multiple people that see that email uh, because I'm in the air so much or, or somebody else. Maybe there's one of our coaches that can jump in and help you out. Uh, if there's availability in the schedule, you can, you can have somebody and say, hey, uh, I'd like to schedule an appointment on this date and they'll get back to you and say, yeah, we can do that. Or you can just go out to the, if you sign up for coaching, you can go out to the calendar and, and book appointment on your own. So let's go back to his question it says, uh, uh, how important is it having a bachelor's degree when getting jobs with the airlines? As far as getting a job with the majors, uh, you pretty much need it. Uh, or unless you have 25,000 hours or 10,000 hours, uh, then maybe not, but there are a lot of people with a 10 to 15,000 hour range out there that, uh, there's, you have to shine above somebody else. So, Eric, I want to throw this question your way uh, because I know we've talked about this so much. Uh, let's let's took, look at, obviously, the majors. You, you definitely need to have your, your bachelor's. And I know that if you have five moon landings and 10,000 hours, you can get a job without a degree. But what do you think about that, Eric? Well, I mean, I, you, I love that you throw the soapbox questions to me. I'll try not to spend a soapbox amount of time answering this question. But this is um, a, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, so we asked about accelerated programs, degrees. Yeah, let's throw this one to Eric because surely he can't <laughs> opine on this for long. Um, so I, I get the idea of, you know, I, I want to get it as soon as I can. And if, if the bachelor's degree is something that you want to do, and in my personal opinion is something you should absolutely do, um, you do have online options for bachelor's degrees specific to aviation. Um, you have plenty of online baccalaureate degrees, not specific to aviation, if you don't care what the degree is in. Um, so there are options. The, the only thing I'll say there is, we, we've answered this question many times before, the concern in trying to do that and, and hurrying to the airlines with the, the minimal um, training that you can get without any degree on top of that then you're going to be busy, then other things are going to take priority, and then you're going to be trying to take on, what, 6, 9, 12, 15 credits a semester online while you're flying and doing it from a hotel room, and, and you see where this goes. So it takes, it takes a lot of um, internal motivation and a lot of self-discipline because now you're working, now you've got other commitments pulling at your time, and you've still got to be able to fit in uh, this, this particular phase of life. I, I understand the dilemma entirely. Um, and so I can't say, well, there is obviously this clear choice. That's the thing about this, this question that bothers me so much, because I, I hate not being able to tell somebody, well, this is the obvious answer. This is one that does not have an obvious answer. It is very case-specific to you, what your capabilities are, what your long-term goals are. And if your long-term goal is to go to the, to the majors, you, you need the bachelor's degree. Okay, well, there are ways to do that after you get into the regional job. There are certainly opportunities that exist there. So I, I wouldn't rule anything out. I just my only issue when it comes to accelerated training is that you're actually getting out of it the quality that you need to be getting out of it as opposed to I want to get this done as soon as humanly possible. And you know, I don't I don't really possess the skills that I should, but I have the certificate in my pocket that says I'm qualified to do it. And so that not that accelerated training necessarily works that way. But like anything else in life, what you put into it is pretty much what you're going to get back out of it. So as far as the degree is concerned, 
it it really doesn't matter what you get to your degree in. I think uh, you just get a degree in something you want to get a degree in. As long as it's a four-year degree, excuse me, a bachelor's degree, I think that's really important. Uh, I think we can all agree on that one. Of course, having an aviation degree, it makes certain things easier when you do get to the airlines. You you know a lot of the terminology. You understand dispatch, et cetera. There's, you, you have a depth of knowledge that somebody that doesn't have an aviation degree uh, have. So you, you have to look at it and say, hey, you know, do I really want to have that depth of knowledge? Can I do that on my own? Uh, but definitely, as far as when I'm looking at a resume and I'm doing hiring, I want to make sure you have a have a bachelor's degree, and that's really really important. As far as who you get your degree with, it doesn't matter as much. I mean, I, you know, I have my degree from from a, a Jesuit school in, in Northeast Pennsylvania that uh, not too many people have heard of in the aviation world. As a matter of fact, when I go to my class reunions, they're like, you know, you're one of the few people that actually is is an airline pilot that came from our school. Uh, we can count the number of airline pilots, I think, on on two hands. Uh, so it, really, it doesn't matter as long as you get yourself a degree that that's useful. That that's for sure. And I will say too just to add on to that if you if your goal is to go and fly the line for the rest of your career in aviation then there's truth in that you can get a degree in whatever you're interested in if your long-term goal though is to promote up through the organization and look at operations or management or if your long-term goal is maybe not to be flying the line all the time but to work maybe in the training department or to work in other aspects of the airline business then an aviation-specific degree becomes very important in that case because there's nowhere else you can learn that information except on the job. And no one is going to promote somebody to director of flight operations who only has on-the-job knowledge. You know, that, that won't work. So it requires, um, it requires specific aviation theoretical experience that, that is best gained, I guess you could say, uh, through an aviation degree program, so there's a there's a two sided thing there. Um, if the if the goal, if the long term goal is fly the line for my career, that's all I want to do. When I get to the airline, okay, then that it probably does not matter. I think you'd probably be a better candidate. You have more knowledge with an aviation specific degree, but it it would not influence your ability to get the job. But again, if your long term goal is to promote up in the organization, you might want to look at an aviation specific degree or an aviation specific management degree. That may come in handy for you. See, and that, Eric, is what I wanted to mention is if you're going to move up, you're going to need to probably look at a management degree or a master's degree. If you're looking at management, uh, making it aviation-specific uh, really helps. You know, having an MBA or an aviation management, M- a master's in safety, whatever kind of position you're really trying to target, it's best to have a master's uh, if you want to move up, especially in pay pay rankings. You know, they give they weigh more on the more degrees you have as far as pay, con- pay is concerned. So uh, that's important. As far as his question about accelerated programs, there's lots of them out there. The one we talk about a lot because all ATVs is the largest that I know of that does this and the largest uh, that advertises so much. That's why we get so many questions about this school. Uh, so it's important to look into any school that you're going to. And if it's accelerated, it could be something that's on, on you know, right there that, that's uh, on the airport or at the airport you're flying out of. So that's, that's really, really important. Um, as far as others, um, Paul, I'm sorry, you had something you wanted to mention on this? Yeah, I just wanted to mention too to sort of play devil's advocate to the uh, to the bachelors in uh, a degree outside of aviation. You know, uh, we all know that this business, this aviation business, is cyclical, and um, you know, my degree is uh, you know, it's, we've mentioned this on the podcast before is is in nursing, so I don't, I do not have an aviation degree, and um, the, you know, I, I'm I'm actually I'm happy for that. I'm glad for that. The reason being is it's my backup plan. If I get furloughed, 
um, I'm going to go to work tomorrow as a nurse and, uh, and I'm going to make a decent living and I'm not going to be doing exactly, uh, what I want to be doing right now, but I'll put food on the family and I'll put a roof over their heads. So that's something to me that's really important. And in terms of, uh, you know, moving on to out of the regionals to, uh, majors or legacies, I can tell you from firsthand experience, having, uh, interviewed with a legacy for, not necessarily a job specifically, but uh, for a, a place in a uh, in a future job through a program that uh, they were very interested in my uh, nursing degree, and um, they were actually really interested in learning more about what I did as a nurse, and uh, and so my job, and I think one of the reasons why I was successful in the interview was to make uh, you know make a case for the similarities that exist between. Um, medicine and nursing and aviation because there's many and um, and I and I think it made for a good selling point for me and so um, you know I just wanted to mention that I think that if you get a degree outside of aviation you know it's uh, it's a good backup plan and it's possibly a good uh, a good way to go although uh, and it could set you apart from the pack so it's I, to me I like getting a degree outside of aviation but having uh, a degree in the aviation industry is also good because like you said, it puts you, uh, you know, in the know with the, the knowledge and the, uh, the terminology and things like that. Yeah, that's a great, great point, Paul. I'm glad you brought that up. Also, uh, the fact that people have such diverse backgrounds, uh, leads to some really interesting discussions during a, uh, during any type of interview. I mean, I had most of my background in, in my degree was you know computer science, math and, and psychology, which led to more, uh, artificial intelligence and it was it was really interesting to discuss that in my interviews uh and that's just me and that's anybody else we i love to see people come in that have uh, medical backgrounds uh police you know firemen etc so it's definitely something that sets you apart in an interview so it's a great point there paul uh, let's move on. We got a, got a bunch of questions we got to get through. So thanks for the question, by the way. Keep them coming. Uh, really appreciate that. Uh, as far as all ATPs, I'm hope hopefully uh, we'll get somebody on. We haven't been able to get them yet, but maybe in the future we will. This one comes off our Facebook page. It says, "Hi folks, I recently stumbled upon Aviation Careers podcast while listening to all the back episodes of Inspire Aviation podcast by M0A, and that's uh, M0A.com. Of course, is Jason Shepard. What a, a great person and a real friend of the podcast." Uh, uh, if you get a chance, go check them out, Inspire Aviation Podcast. Really neat guy and a really neat organization. Anyway, he continues, I'm a 50% disabled U.S. Air Force veteran, and fortunately I don't qualify anymore for use of my Montgomery GI Bill. Uh, I left the service just prior to the 9-11, so no post-9-11 GI Bill for me. I've always wanted to learn how to fly. One of the reasons I joined the Air Force was to help me get into aviation. I worked five years as an F-15 crew chief and loved every minute of it. Now I'm at the point where I can begin to pursue my private pilot's license and work towards becoming a commercial pilot as my next career. I'm looking into what scholarships are available for veterans like myself, but the initial browsing through the scholarships book was a bit daunting, and I'm hoping you can help me point me in the right direction. Please help. Thanks. Well, first of all, I want to say something. Thanks for your service and all those folks out there that have served in our, our military. We, uh, we do appreciate you and what you do out there and the sacrifices you've made. Uh, as far as the GI Bill, yeah, that, that's, uh, that's an issue when that runs out. And um, also, I, the other thing I really like about your email is you, are dis- you have decided to move forward into your next step in the career. Uh, browsing the scholarships book, here's, here's a little something that I guess comes along with the success of the aerospace scholarships.com is the fact 
fact that now we have so many scholarships. We, uh, we've kind of upped the game a little bit. Uh, as as, I, as you remember, when I say that, you know, when you become a member of uh, Aviation Careers Podcast, you sign up for our coaching. What that enables us to do is to pay more staff, to put more scholarships in the guide, and to help develop the website. We have people working on the scholarships now uh, and putting scholarships out there on almost a daily basis. So it is daunting. That's the reason we, we've tried to put them into different classifications. I, I will say one thing, our, uh, the, the section of it for veterans is a, a little bit lacking because we don't have the cross-reference in there. In other words, some of these scholarships that are available are available for veterans, uh, but we may have, say, one that's under women in aviation that's for veterans. So what we'll do is try to focus more on the, the veteran scholarships in the future. We do have a service, though, where uh, you can sign up and we'll actually uh, you know, find uh, 10 different scholarships for you. And uh, you can actually send us an email at feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. It does come with a fee, but it also it, it includes a, an hour discussion with us and a, a list of scholarships, uh, along with obviously a copy of the scholarships guide and uh, scholarships that are specific for you. It's a little service that we do. And uh, we've done it for a few people. It helps out. Uh, my suggestion, though, as far as doing it the least expensive way is to buy the scholarship guides, only $10, and start really flipping through it and trying to find it on your own. If you can't, we will help you out, and we do that through our coaching services. So uh, so we'll, we'll help you out there. Uh, it is daunting out there. I know, Eric, you've seen our scholarships guide, and you realize that, that there are so many scholarships that are still out there we haven't put in the guide. It's just incredible, isn't it? I remember when there were, like, 20. <laughs> I mean, do you remember that back back in the beginning when it, it a, would fit on one piece of paper? It was like a, it was a, it was a it was a scholarships guide flyer, you right, know, and it was right. like there are 20 scholarships and now <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. Do you even know what the total count is now? It, we we haven't counted them again in, in a few months. It's in the millions, and uh, no, we don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. I'd have to ask uh, Russ. Uh, he, he's listening now, the producer, to, to go out maybe do another count. But uh, Yeah, the last time I remember counting, there were like 550 in there. Right, right. Um, and, I mean, I didn't count them by hand. I mean, but with the last total, and that's been over like nearly a year ago. Yeah. Um, so I, I totally understand the daunting comment. I, I get that entirely. I mean, it, it, it is a little bit. The thing that I would say um, makes that guide really useful as an ebook is that it's searchable. Mm-hmm. Um, and keyword searches are your friend. Um, having had many students, <laughs> I, I point everybody there. Um, actually, Carl, I probably gets a lot of uh, emails, if not emails, definitely clicks oh from gosh. virtually everybody who walks in the door. They leave with an aviation scholarships guide card um, because they all come in my door asking about money. Everybody does. You know, how am I going to pay for this? Um, and I, I tell them the same thing I'm telling you. It, it is a huge, daunting stack of money. And that's a good thing because there's lots of opportunity there, but it is going to require a little bit of effort to get through it all. It's like, uh, you know, here's, um, here's a big stack of money. Now, in order to earn said money, you have to do a little bit of research, fill out some paperwork. You know, so there, there, is, an, there is an earning the money process, I, I grant you that. But keyword searches in that document are your best friend. Um, just get familiar with the way that it's sorted and put together, and it, it's really not that bad. The, the way – because Carl and the team are really intelligent in the way that they sorted all the scholarships and tagged them. 
So it does make once you narrow in on what you're looking for, it does make it easy to almost like it's like a, it's like Tinder. Swipe left, swipe right. Just keep <laughs> keep. Uh, nope, that one's not for me. Nope, that one's not for me. Ooh, that one looks interesting. Um, and then you know if you're browsing it in an ebook uh, form, drop a bookmark on it. Um, that's usually what I tell students to do. If you find a scholarship that interests you, drop a bookmark on it. Go through the entire guide. And then go back and review all your bookmarks. Um, it's like doing uh, knowledge test prep where we mark questions for later review. Um, that's usually a, a pretty efficient way to get through the thing. Um, but anyway, hopefully that helps a little bit. I do understand the the issue, but that's a far better concern than wow, there's nothing in here. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I appreciate that comment there and, and, and compliment. But you know, I really I, I have to say that people that have done most of the heavy lifting are people like Paul, my wife working on it, and because I just don't have the time to do the research. My my job is just finding organizations and them saying, "Here, we have these fifty scholarships worth ten million dollars. Can you find people for them?" Uh, and that's about all I do. The rest of the heavy lifting is by the people that actually put the uh, the actual. You know, scholarships in the scholarships guide. I wish I could name everybody, but we're at that point where I'm, I have so many people working on it right now. I can't tell you who's. I think we have like five or six people working on it right now. So, it's really a wonderful uh, thing that we've we've done, and it's something that I'm going to continue to do forever. Uh, is a scholarships guide, and we're adding company scholarships too, uh, different airlines and different companies like Honeywell that have tons of scholarships out there. Hey, Eric, I'm not sure you can maybe uh, speak towards this as far as the GI Bill and uh, any different changes, etc. But uh, is this a is this something that you have seen in the past? Is this something that you're going to you think you'll see more going in the future as far as people running out of their GI Bill or having different challenges with the GI Bill? Well, I mean, it, it continues to be an issue. Um, obviously, there's um, we're, we're almost at the post-Vietnam era of people trying to use these benefits. And when you're using it for flight training, it becomes really expensive. It's a huge tax on the system. I mean, that's just the reality of it. Um, you know, we, we're in the um, post-August 2016 era now where the VA is no longer paying for private pilot training um, in certain college programs anymore, where that was always acceptable. Now it's not for most college programs. Um, so you have to get creative about where the extra money comes from. I, I think as more people try to make use of the benefits and the available pot of money continues to shrink, then the available money is going to continue to shrink. I mean, that's just basic supply and demand. Um, but I think in terms – and I see this a lot for people who have Montgomery GI Bill um, and they're, they're sort of ending Montgomery GI Bill eligibility and then transitioning into post-911 GI Bill eligibility. That's complicated because the months never work out and you're ending one benefit package in the middle of a semester and then picking up – it's just – it's ugly and it's nasty. My only thing there is if, if you're in that boat, and I've, I've seen so many of our students go through that process too, um, patience is a virtue. <laughs> Just, you know, take a deep breath. This too shall pass. Um, you know, it's, it's getting over those hurdles and transitioning between benefits packages. And then, um, you know, you talk to students who, who you know, who have operated under the assumption for many years that they're going to get a certain benefit and then they show up and, and we still have students who contact us now who are just now finding out that the VA is not paying for private anymore at certain college programs. And you're just like, I'm sorry, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, <laughs> and so th that's a huge setback. But lest you become discouraged and go, you know, aviation isn't for me now because I can't get this money. There are still plenty of ways to find you some money. Carl Scholarship Guide being one of them. Um, and behind that, 
um, when you go to an accredited public school, you still have access to grants, you have access to uh, institutional scholarships, and you have access to student loans. And yes, you'll have a little bit of skin in the game, but that's maybe not necessarily a bad thing. Um, and you know, if you're going to go into debt, student loan debt's about the best debt you can possibly have. Um, so I think there's there is still a way out. Um, don't give up. Um, and not that this person necessarily in that boat, but there are there are options. And for those of you that are kind of stuck in the transition, don't lose heart. There are ways out of that, and eventually that hurdle will be cleared and you'll move on. Um, but it's um, it, it can be trying from time to time. I grant you, but uh, but that's the importance of having uh, good people on staff to to help students understand what the requirements are and what the next step is. And we certainly try to do that. Um, and you know, any good college program is going to do that. Is it when it comes to, you know, um, uh, academy style industry programs? Um, that's the same thing. Good, big, huge programs like that have a, a division of their um, organization that's devoted to financial aid, the same way that a college does. Um, so uh, that's that's a normal process. It's a normal hurdle. And again, this too shall pass. You know, Eric, there's something you mentioned that I need to, to clarify here, and I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of emails about this. What about the, G, um, I guess, the, the veterans' benefits or the GI Bill uh, for the private pilot? And I'm sure there's people that understand that, and sometimes I, I get questions about it. Could you explain what has happened and what they need to do to be eligible for that private pilot? Sure. So what the VA changed was an interpretation of a rule um, that – you know, has been the way that it has always been since about, I don't know, 2006, 2007. Um, but the rule interpretation was changed. So here's the basic deal. Um, if you go to a VA-approved college or university program that either owns its own fleet of aircraft or leases its own fleet of aircraft, then you can still, provided that college is eligible for VA benefits, then you can still get your private pilot certificate paid for at the minimum acceptable cost at that college or university. Um, for all the many colleges out there that don't own fleets, like uh, my college, Polk State College, doesn't own its own fleet of aircraft or lease its own fleet of aircraft for some really obvious and important reasons. Um, and so because of that, the VA views that training as academy training, which for years the VA viewed that as, well, you're conducting training through a collegiate program that makes it IHL or Institution of Higher Learning, so you're good to go. They sort of changed the way they interpreted that rule. Um, I'm not going to get into motivations or anything, but that was a huge deal because there are way more colleges and universities that contract their fleets than there are that own them <laughs> or lease them. So it was a huge uh, it was a huge change in the way the VA pays for private pilot training um, in college and university programs. Um, again, your only option is to, if you want to get your private paid for with your post 9-11 GI Bill benefits, your only option is to attend a college that owns its own fleet of aircraft or that leases its own fleet of aircraft. So, Eric, and, and of course, I'm going to have a, this is an opinion comment, by the way, and this doesn't reflect either Eric or, or, or Paul Greco here or anybody else on the podcast. Uh, one of the things that concerns me about this is the fact that it seems as if we're limiting our benefits to our veterans. And uh, it, when I first heard about this, it actually uh, it got me a little bit angry because uh, this is just, just one way, because of the fact that it limits the number of schools that veterans can go to, it limits the number of benefits. It's a great way to cut the 
budget in my mind, uh, but uh, but I that, but that's my opinion, and I, I wish that would change, and I'm hoping to see that change in the future because there's a lot of really affordable institutions out there uh, that people no longer have access to, especially veterans that are trying to get their private pilot's license on their way towards a career in aviation. So uh, I will not. Those are my comments and my comments alone. So you can write in to me, and hate mail goes to Carl at Aviation Careers Podcast on that one. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> going on to the uh, on to the the next. Uh, let's see, we have. A, oh my gosh, this next. And by the way, that was a great question. And again, thanks for your service. Um, the next the next thing that uh, we are going to talk about is a really long question and there's a lot of good stuff in here so i want to go through this uh, uh don't ever apologize for a long question if you have a whole bunch of them they're great because this is a this is a great one i love this this email uh, so we're going to take this in sections and we're going to talk about it so here comes uh first of all i just wanted to say how much i have appreciated and enjoyed listening to your podcast when i first decided that becoming a pilot is something i wanted to pursue i struggled to know where to begin however Before I became too discouraged, I came across your podcast and has since continued to inspire me and also provide me with many useful leads to learn more about the profession. A little about me. I graduated from a small liberal arts college in the Midwest a year or so ago with the intent of pursuing a career in the government and international relations. I moved out to Washington, D.C. shortly after and have been living out there for about a year. Earlier this year, I had what can only be described as a self-revelation about my career path, which is what brings me to today. Aviation has been a part of my life from an early age. Both my grandfather and my grandmother at the age 50, at age 50, got were pilots. That's pretty incredible. At age 50, she became a pilot. And I was lucky enough to have the chance to fly with both of them. I think that's really, really cool. She continues, I never believed aviation could be a real career prospect for me, and so I pursued other paths, most of which I hoped would lead me to a life of travel, exploration, and diplomacy. However, after spending time in D.C. working in an office environment, I struggled with constant wanderlust and spent time watching airplanes land at nearby D.C.A. from our office break room, dreaming about what it'd be like to get up each morning and go flying. By the way, that is such a cool airport to fly into. And maybe if I'm in the D.C. area, I'll let you know because I'd love to have you come by the airport, check out the airplanes. And uh, and we're going to start doing that a little bit more, uh, tweeting out where I am and uh, and being able to visit. But really, I get really to cool fly stuff. in there again uh, next week, oh, Monday. That's right. You're heading out there. I, the river approach is my favorite approach pretty much anywhere. I mean, I don't do the island flying that you do, Coral, but I, I love the river approach in D.C.A. Oh, gosh. It's fun. It is awesome. I love doing the river visual, and uh, what we're talking about is the arrival into into D.C.A. You get to go by the Naval Observatory, of course. That's where the uh, the vice president is, all the way down, uh, see all the monuments, and you're sitting there in your captain's seat. If you're going down the river visual, you're looking out to the left, and you're looking right at the, at the White House. You're looking at the Capitol building, the Washington Monument, uh, Jefferson, it's everything. Everything's right there. The mall is right there. So it's just just absolutely cool. I wish I could videotape it. On, uh, they do frown on me using cameras while I'm flying, so I really can't. But uh, it would be really cool if I could get somebody uh, to actually videotape that, maybe get approval from the company. That would be awesome, get somebody in the jump seat to do that. Um, but anyway. Let's I volunteer for the jump seat anytime. I, hey, you know what, anytime. That, that might be a little <laughs> tough going into DCA, though. They, maybe they, a little bit. <laughs> the one place I know I cannot get on a jump seat would be going into DCA. That's a guaranteed not going to happen. 
But but if I'm bringing one of the secret service agents, I'm bringing in there someday. Maybe they'll they'll do that for me. Who knows? We'll see. See what the the legality. I'll, I'll have to check on that one before beforehand. But uh, anyway, I'd love to have you though. That one of these days, Eric, we're going to get you up in the jump seat. But. Um, anyway, she continues. Uh, several things coalesced at once, and suddenly flying became all I could think about. I had never believed becoming a pilot was something I could actually do, but now I've decided to make the possibility a reality. My grandmother did it at 50, and I'm going to do it at 25. Well, that's awesome. I'm leaving my government job at the end of the September and moving back to my hometown to begin flight training. Listening to your podcast has helped me think through the process of flight training, something that was really overwhelming and confusing when I began researching it several months ago. I'm confident that the best choice, both financially and for my general well-being and being close to family and friends, is to begin an accelerated program near, home, near my home at an accelerated flight training school. I also joined Women in Aviation and hope to get involved with the local chapter as soon as I move home. By the way, the choice to, to join Women in Aviation is a very good choice. Uh, I highly recommend it to anybody. Uh, you don't have to be a female to join, but Women in Aviation, my gosh, they are so involved in moving people forward in their careers and have some amazing events, and they have some incredible scholarships out there, of which we have many of them in the Scholarships Guide. As a matter of fact, they're one organization we have a problem keeping up with because they come out with so many new scholarships. It's uh, But thank God we have a, a, a really good tie with them right now, and they've they've been pushing more and more scholarships our way. It's They have tons of different scholarships they give away every year. Anyway. She continues, with that being said, I'm still bogged with a question uh, about what comes next. I'm both nervous and unbelievably excited to begin this new adventure of becoming a pilot. However, I'm also a meticulous planner and I'm trying to be a, as cost effective as possible moving through this process. If I tell you that my end goal is to become an ATP certified commercial pilot working for one of the big airlines, what tips do you have for me from day one. Well, first of all, get your, get all your licenses, start working in aviation, get your degree. You have your degree, so you're well on your way. Uh, so that's that's number one. But uh, but we're going to get into some of the specific questions. Uh, here here comes. What can I do at the very beginning of my training that will help me? Number one, a be a pe- better pilot, and number two, have a better chance of being hired by one of the airlines. Uh, so I'm, we're going to take those questions right there. What you can do to become a better pilot. I'm going to first say this, is, is study as hard as you can and remember that someday your passengers are going to rely on you and your skills when you're in the cockpit. And so always remember that. It's most important to study real hard, get to understand the topics as well as you can right now. You're building the basics right now, and those basics are going to be held with you until you your career is ended and you retire because the, the basics of doing say crosswind landings and the basics of making calculations and and just you know trying to figure out your descent rates all those are out there and you really need to know those you really need to know those uh, and have a, having a better chance of getting hired by one of the airlines just know know your stuff know your information know don't know the minimum know as much as you can uh, it, you know just just totally get immersed in this situation. So I think that's really, really important. Anybody else have anything for on that question right there before we go on? Because we have a lot of other questions here. Eric, Paul, anything you want to add to that as far as getting Yeah, started? the only thing I would add with the uh, what she could do to make herself a better pilot is I, I, I'll totally second what you, what you just said. Um, having a good foundation is incredibly important. And um, 
you know, I just went through a, a pretty major emergency at work where, uh, I had to rely on all my years of training and experience to get us, to help get us through, uh, with the other pilot and, uh, have a safe outcome, which, you know, fortunately we did. And one of the things that I will tell you is that having gone through that situation very recently, just a couple of weeks ago, is that, uh, when, when the emergency first occurred, um, I heard the voice of one of my very first instructors tell, you know, in my head saying, slow down, take your time, make the right decisions. And, uh, that, that was something that I heard from, uh, private pilot days. And here I am, uh, you know, a captain at a, at an airline and, uh, you know, I'm something that was taught to me as a, a student pilot, uh, had stuck with me. So, you know, do the best you can pay very close attention, um, learn all that you can learn, absorb everything and, uh, lay a good foundation for what you're going to learn, uh, later on down the line, because having a good foundation is, uh, what's going to make you a really, really good pilot, uh, someday. I'm I'm glad you brought that up because every time something really bad happens, it seems that you go back to what your instructor has told you. You know, I, I never forget uh, when I had uh, flames coming out of an engine and uh, had to shut the engine down in flight. I I never forget what I heard in my mind was one of my instructors. His name was Richie Green in in Morristown, <laughs> New Jersey, and said to me, he "says Carl, the planes don't just fall out of the sky and all of a sudden. So slow down and move forward." And, st- and, and keep doing what you're doing with the emergency procedures. It's not just going to fall out of the sky. They usually don't do that unless it blows up and then you can't do anything anyway. I was like, wow, Rich, that was a great point. Big shout out to him, though. J- Rich was a great, great instructor. That's actually who uh, I was talking about. Oh, by you're the way. kidding me. No, that's, that's too exactly funny. what I was talking about. Wow. So kudos he's, to he's Richie Green. Amazing, yeah. He's amazing. <laughs> That's that's so. kind of weird that we're both talking about the same person, but uh, so here's a first. Well, sort of similar circumstances. Yeah. You know, both engine failures and. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he, he would uh, when he would simulate an engine failure. Uh, this was in the simulator. He would uh, he would make you do nothing initially, and just sit there and fly the plane. Right. And um, he, you know, and the point that he was trying to make is like Carl just said, the plane is not going to fall out of the sky. You have you have time. Um, of course, you know, if you're close to the ground, low to the ground, and it's just after departure, you you have to be a little bit more. Um, swift in your decision making um, you know and he he would make that point but the point that he was trying to make there was simply that you have time uh, take your time use your time wisely because when you don't there are you know bad things happen and uh, so that's what uh, that's the point he tried to make there and it's funny it stuck with Carl stuck with me <laughs> both during our emergencies yeah, he was he was a great instructor, and it's interesting how how our instructors uh, things. And he's not the only one. There's a lot of other good instructors that things just resonate in our heads. So so make sure you listen to your instructor because they're they're actually speaking from experience, and uh, and what they they glean upon you is really really important. So um, as far as getting a better chance of getting hired by the airlines, just do your best job, and and that's it. Uh, get the hours in, etc. Also, um, I. Uh, we just one more thing as far as before, and I know Paul, you have to get out of here. Uh, it says here, if I can dedicate the next couple of years to flying and gaining flight hours, how many years would it you estimate it taking before I'm qualified to apply to one of the regionals and/or airlines? I always tell people, give yourself anywhere 
from three to five years to get to a regional, three to five more years to get to a major, and we've talked about that uh, quite a bit in some of the past podcasts. But uh, you know, with with some of the people from some of the other consulting firms out there that do interview prep and and career counseling, uh, we all kind of come up with that five to ten years to get to your ultimate goal. Uh, it may take less time, it may take some more. But uh, Paul, before you go, you have one more thing you want to share with us before you have to to jump off to the airport. Yeah, I actually. What I want to just mention um, for this listener specifically, um, because she's just starting out, and uh, what one of the things that it can be that it can be very a very overwhelming process. This can be you know no, looking at the at the mountain uh, and being at the bottom of it is is uh, very intimidating. Um, and one of the things that helped me get through uh, all my training was having the ability to focus on one task at a time. So, um, you know, you, you, you focus on your private pilot, you know, and then, and you even break your private pilot down into, into its basic forms. You know, you have to, you you have to do your flight training. You have to, once you get your flight training, you have to start working on your written test. So you work on your written test and you start studying for your oral and then, then you start preparing for your, for your, uh, practical and, um, so take each moment, uh, you know, step by step, one at a time. Don't look at don't look at the whole thing, um, because if it does become daunting, look at only the um, uh, look at only what you're trying to accomplish now in the moment, and then when that's accomplished, you you focus on the next task and just keep doing that. And before you know it, uh, you're gonna have all your ratings and you're gonna be well on your way to becoming an airline pilot. Awesome. Thanks for that, Paul. Hey, Paul, I know you're going to do something really exciting, probably going to fly off to some ex- you know, really exotic location. Uh, so uh, enjoy that, uh, and hopefully we'll, we'll be able to hear you back again. I just thank you for coming on again. And, and again, if you, uh, if you get a chance and you, and you look at his, uh, his background on the website on our contact page, you'll know that Paul's been a real instrumental piece to the, to the scholarships guide and also to helping out with the coaching. So thanks again, Paul, and we will yeah, talk to you. It's great to be here. Next. All right, take care, Paul. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next time. See you, Paul. And uh, the you know that and and one of the things I I really think is important is that we we actually have as many people as we can uh, you know involved in this podcast as, even if it's for a short amount of time. But we really appreciate uh, both Paul and everybody else uh, coming here and helping out with this because we they give up a lot of their time to do this. So Eric, it's you and I. Let's continue on. Uh, we have uh, this is the same listener writing in. Remember, I said it's a long question, but a lot of really good stuff in this. So let's let's try to keep moving on with this one. Uh, she continues. A couple of the questions, if you don't mind. Of course we don't mind. That's what we like to do here. This is wonderful. This is fun. Um, first, what do airlines look for when hiring new pilots? Is it purely flight hours, experience, and certification? Is there anything regarding consistency in training? For example, is it a good or bad thing to gain many flight hours in a condensed amount of time versus spreading them out over a longer period of time? What about where you gained your certification? So let's let's answer that one first. Uh, for the most part, no, it doesn't matter. I know people have come from all different backgrounds, many different schools. I've seen people go to the seven different flight schools and finish their ratings because they moved around the country. Uh, the most important thing that they're looking for is your flight hours, your experience, and also they're looking at you because when they're hiring you, they're not hiring a pilot, they're hiring a captain. They're hiring an airline captain, so make sure you are that captain that they want to hire. So you, you really need to, to understand it's not quite as important where you gain it and, and the time that it took you. 
it's more important what you know and how you come across in the interview. I think that's extremely important. Eric, you want to add anything to that one? Yeah, I think the main thing I would say there is everybody has hours, experience, and certifications. That's just the minimum qualifications to get the job. Everybody walking through the door has that. Um, so that's that's just the minimum just to get the phone call. Um, beyond that, um, who you are, what you bring to the table, you're fit with company culture, um, understanding who the airline is and how they operate and what their business plan is and how you can fit into their organization those are the things that make you stand out from the other people who come in who are just hours, experience, and certifications. If you go to an interview with just those things, then you're automatically bottom of the pile because everybody coming in already has those things. Um, as far as you know, doing it in a short period of time, I know from my personal experience in hiring, if I saw that somebody had done a lot of flying in a very short period of time, that doesn't cause me any concern or make me think, more of them, it, it just it guides what kind of questions I'm going to ask. It determines. Um, it's just for me as a uh, as a hiring person. It tells me um, what specific issues I need to ask about, um, like quality of training. You know, describe describe what you liked about your training. You know, you obviously did it in a short period of time. Um, what about that? Did you think was really beneficial to you? What do you think maybe were the challenges there? I want to see what your responses are to those questions because I need to understand if you sat in the airplane with the propeller running on the ground tied down and have hours in your logbook or if you actually know how to be a pilot. Um, and so it just it just tells me it, it tells me what to ask. I don't think that's either a good thing or a bad thing, really. It just it shapes how the interview is going to go. The, the only thing I might say to that is if there is a red flag, which I don't think you will have a problem with. It doesn't sound like this. But there are people that pad their logbook. In other words, make false entries. So I may dig deeper into their logbook. We do a lot of logbook reviews here. Yeah. Uh, I, I, do, I tell people do not pencil whip your time. Never do that. And if you, from your experience, Carl, from mine anyway, I would say eight or nine times out of ten, that is visually apparent immediately. <laughs> It's it's not it doesn't take any research or any real deep view or anything. Um, for some reason, I guess people who choose to unethically log their time are really not good about concealing the fact that they unethically logged their time. Right. And at least in my experience, it stands out immediately. It doesn't take any time for me to figure that out. Do you, you think that's true or maybe I, I think maybe so, not? In, especially in that level. As far as when you get to, say, someone with 10,000 hours, they can hide it easier because there's so many more pages to go through. But you're right. Uh, it usually does stand out. And when it does stand out, it may be a legitimate mistake. Uh, you may say, hey, listen, you know, why did you log this like you did and what happened here? Especially if you see a lot of crossing out, et cetera. And, and they'll say, hey, listen, I logged this improperly. This is what I did to, to fix it. Now I know that they're being honest with, with me. Uh, but, but when you see these, these issues with, wait a minute, you have, you have all this multi-engine time and then you get your multi-engine rating afterwards, it's like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm scratching my head. How did that happen? You explain more. And, and that's one of them that stands out. You'd be shocked at, at some of the things that people do. Uh, to actually pad their logbooks. Then and people are pressured. I mean, you've heard it on this podcast, people writing in being pressured to pad their logbooks and pencil whip their logbooks. By that, I mean making false uh, 
uh, entries in their logbook, which, by the way, can cause some other issues uh, down the road. And I've only seen this happen like twice. Uh, but the FAA can actually take away your certificates and make you do them again. Uh, so you, you really don't want to have that happen, you know, and that's... Uh, and you, that violation is in your record for the rest of time. It yeah. follows you around forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that, it's not a good thing. Uh, so so definitely, I, but, but as far as what you're saying, it, it is obvious that you've been flying a lot. Like, for, I, I fly like seven, 800 hours a year, and you can look at my logbook and know, oh, yeah, that makes sense because I fly a lot, you know, and so that's the way it is. But but if it, it's never been an issue, if I was padding my logbook, it would be, I think it would be inherently obvious. Sometimes it isn't. There's some people that are good at it. Uh, but uh, for the most part, I, I really recommend against it. And I know I get this question at least once a month about that, but just don't do it. And don't, don't worry about uh, having a lot of flying in your logbook because they'll say to you, boy, you fly a lot. It's like, yeah, I work seven days a week. That's why I fly a lot. And so that's a good answer in an interview. Well, I saw one just as a, as a you know, a, a, an indication of how crazy it can get, uh, 1,800 hours in a year. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, I wow. mean, you do the math on that. So, okay, I see that. So my first thought is, that can't possibly be accurate. But let me start asking some questions. On the second question, it's obvious this is logbook padding. I mean, and and so that <laughs> not only are you not going to get that job, but but that's a that's a serious that's a serious ethical issue. Um, and and we've talked before on this podcast, and um, and you've certainly heard Carl talk about it a lot because it's important to Carl. It's important to me. It's important to people who do this business the right way your integrity at the end of the day is what you have. That's it. That's, that's all you've got. Um, and it's what sets you apart from somebody who has hours experience and certifications. Um, sacrificing your integrity for a couple hours in your logbook is a slippery slope that takes you to places you can't get out of into ramifications. You can't get out of, you have that violation for a fraudulent logbook entry in your FA record. Even if you get your certificates back, every job you go to, you're going to have to explain that. I'm not saying you're never going to work in aviation again, but that's going to be a really interesting interview everywhere you go after that for something that is totally and completely avoidable. So just, yeah, don't, don't for just as a quick disclaimer, don't go down that road. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please don't go down that road. Uh, the one I, I know that I, I've heard this before when we discussed this, so I'm going to make this one disclaimer. When we're talking about time, we're talking about flight time. I understand that you log your ground time. That's not what we're discussing here. Uh, Eric, you're saying that this person had 1,800 hours of actual flight time, not of ground. Flight hours. Right, right. Yeah. So Because I, I hear that every time we do a podcast about this, I, I hear people say, well, I've logged 1,800 hours. Yeah, you logged time, say, in a simulator, you log time uh, actually working in ground instruction. That's great. I'm glad you're that busy. Uh, but we're talking about someone's actually logged flight time, which it, it's 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 physically possible. Uh, but boy, I tell you, it it would be a, a heck of a challenge to do. And I'd really want to dig dig deeper into that. And uh, but gosh, you know, I I used to fly eight hours in a day every day, and it it, it was killing me. And I, you're not going to be able to do that for a whole year. It just it's almost it's almost impossible, believe me. So that's that's what we're talking about there. So anyway, we've uh, discussed that, and I wouldn't worry about logging a lot of time. So let's continue with her question. It uh, she continues. I'm considering moving around a bit for flight training. For example, get my private instrument uh, where I am right now, and then heading out to live with family on the West Coast for my other ratings. Would you recommend this, or is there some benefit to sticking with one school and the same flight instructors? Uh, there's a little bit of a benefit in uh, sticking with one school and a, and flight 
flight instructors in that you know that school, you know the quality, and you don't have to search for another school. Uh, and and if it's a good school and they're doing a good job, you might not want to leave. And now you, you're going to move out and move to another place where you don't have that that background and that knowledge of the flight schools. But if you have a school in mind and you know that they're a good school from experience, from your friends, relatives, et cetera, then, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not that big of a deal. And as a matter of fact, um, when I'm doing my flight training, I never let my students fly with just me. Every time we go through a stage, it's with somebody else. Uh, it's uh, I always make them fly with another instructor, especially right before a check ride, because I want them to get used to flying with other people in the airplane. Because there's times when you know you become friendly with your your student, and sometimes you're like, uh, yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna really be hard on them because they're such a nice person. But you know what? I'm gonna have someone else fly with them who's gonna give them a really straight answer. You know, I try to try to be nice to the people because they're my friends. They usually become my friends. And sometimes it's best to have somebody else uh, in, the, in the equation and can give an unbiased opinion as to your flying. So there is some benefit to, to moving around. There's some benefit to staying with just one school. Uh, so, Eric, did you want to add to that before we move on to the next question? No, the only thing I would add is just based on where you're talking about going to, uh, from knowing a lot of people who fly out there, um, I would almost <laughs> guarantee you it's going to cost considerably more. Um, so it's one of those things you want to do the math before you get into it. Um, just one of those things to consider. Um, but at the same time, I got a second what Carl says. Um, virtually all of my students, I would say 99.9%, will fly with every instructor that we have at some point during their training. Um, I think that's really important. I think there's a lot of benefit in that. Um, you know, hopscotching schools in the middle of a course of training might be really difficult, especially if you're going to train under Part 141, which I think before you said it was an accredited school. I think maybe that means Part 141. Doing that will actually cost you a lot of time. You'll lose a lot of hours in a 141 program doing that. So you definitely want to finish a certificate or rating before you move to another school if you can prevent that. Um, but otherwise, there is a lot of benefit in it, and you may actually find that the skills that you learn flying in different areas become very useful to you. For example, when you're flying on the line, going to all sorts of areas all over the country. For example, we're in Florida, so I can teach mountain avoidance, but I teach it theoretically because we don't have any mountains um, in, at all. <laughs> um, and I can teach density altitude, but I can't really teach it the way as maybe people who are flying at a much higher altitude Anyway, so, I mean, there are advantages in training in various parts around the country. There, there's benefit to that. Well, thanks, Eric, for that insight. There's, uh, it's interesting how you learn something from every instructor. I think that's really important, too. And you get that experience by being thrown into uh, other training environments. So that's, that's one good thing. So that's good. And also having uh, the ability to fly with all these different instructors really makes you a more well-rounded person. In uh, her final question here, uh, she says, I'm wondering about opportunities to fly for international airlines, Singapore, British Airways, etc. Do you know what that would entail? So first of all, this is kind of an interesting question because the first thing I want to say is, well, there's a lot of international airlines that fly out of the United States, that fly to all these destinations throughout the world. Uh, so you will get that experience of flying to all these different places. If your intention is to go over to another country and work there and fly there, there's lots of different opportunities for that. Uh, you just have to make sure that you uh, fulfill the requirements for that specific country for those specific licenses. And I'm sure you've heard about the contract pilots. You've heard about pilots actually working 
working full-time for these airlines overseas. As a matter of fact, a friend of mine uh, just became a captain yesterday with Qatari Airlines on a 777 and gets to fly to some really cool places. Uh, as a matter of fact, he was on this podcast, one of our first ones, uh, Hondell Wellington. He was uh, on number two or three, I can't remember, uh, way back when. So go check out what he has to say. He is now a 777 captain, uh, and we can talk more about going overseas. But it's really... Um, if you want to live in the U.S. and you want to stay here, it's best to work for uh, an airline here because then you'd have to commute over to that airline overseas. So, so what what are you trying to do? I guess to be the real question in flying for an international airline. Uh, there's a whole bunch of international airlines here. Uh, just for instance, like for me, in one day I may go over like ten different countries. Uh, and so you never, you know, you do get to fly internationally. A lot of people might consider international flying uh, more like Europe and that type of thing. So uh, you have to define that. I will say one thing, too. Uh, there is a inter- interesting concept as to international flying. Some people don't consider uh, flying to, say, Cuba as international or flying to Peru or Colombia uh, or wherever, Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Honduras. Uh, they only consider international going to Europe. But then they consider China as not being international or India not as being international. So it's, it's this perception in people's minds. So I'd have to – that's why I like to dig deeper into what you consider uh, international and what is an international airline because there's a lot of air, airlines out there that, uh, that fly internationally. So a little more color that would be good. There are a lot of regional airlines that fly internationally. <laughs> Oh sure. I mean, that, yeah. that have internet. I mean, you can you fly internationally. It's a lot of regional carriers. So, so for instance, the last region I, I flew for went to Canada, the United States, Mexico, Mexico, Guatemala, Cuba, and one other country I can't remember. But uh, yeah, there's a whole bunch of countries you can go to with a regional. Also, I saw a regional airline the other day. I was in Costa Rica and uh, saw a regional in there. So that has actually expanded because the regional airlines have gotten so big as far as their airplanes are concerned. Uh, so, yeah, you can, you can do a lot of international, quote-unquote, flying uh, using a small airplane, too. Uh, so let's move forward from there. Uh, she says, oh, as she ends, thank you again for your insight into this process. I've referenced your podcast many times to my skeptical family members, and it brings me a peace of mind knowing that other people are as confused as I am when starting down this road or rather, runway. (laughs) That was great. Uh, I'd love to hear back from you in any way. I know you are all very busy and receive hundreds of emails from people like me just trying to learn as much as they can about careers in aviation. So thank you in advance for your attention to this email. I hope to write back in a few months with an update on my flight training. I cannot wait for this adventure to begin. Well, we can't wait for you to start on this adventure. This just sounds awesome. You know what? Uh, I wouldn't worry about being successful in your aviation career because I think you already are. Uh, I think you're well on your way to getting to where you want to go. You've you've placed in front of you your goals, and you will definitely make it there. And your attitude is awesome. So, uh, So I really think that's important. Eric, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, kudos to you for. I mean, that's a you're making a huge life change, and um, I, I know what that's like because I was sort of in the opposite boat, um, flying a lot and really loving my life, but really wanting to do that other thing, that dream job that I've always wanted to do, and and uh, and teaching and doing what I'm doing now, and and it was a big change for me to make that shift too. But what you're doing and and giving up your job, moving across the country, and <laughs> And really committing to this thing is really admirable. I, I have no concerns about your ability to succeed because you already have the right ingredient, which is your attitude. Your attitude's already there. 
You already know exactly what you want. You know what it takes to get it. And you have the most important quality of all, which is that you feel comfortable asking questions. Um, and the the absolute best thing for any of you that are listening to this, by the way, if you want to succeed in whatever field you're in or whatever field you want to go into, is get comfortable asking questions. Find find those people who've done it, who have the experience. Ask them what they did right, what they did wrong. You know, avoid the potholes, and uh, and you'll have a really rewarding time doing it. So, kudos to you for reaching out, and I look forward to hearing back from you in a couple of months too about what's going on. Awesome. So please keep us updated. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you're listening uh, and you have a, a story to tell about something or a hurdle you overcame or an update into your progress towards your career goal, let us know. Hey, Eric, do you have time for one more question? Yeah, this next one is kind of long. So if I have to drop out in the middle of it, I'll let you know. But I, yeah. I do want to get into it because it's a really good question. Okay, so we're going to read this question and we'll, and this will be our last one for this episode. Here we go. It says, first of all, I owe you, Tom, Eric, and Paul, all of your guests, a huge thank you for taking the time to put together your podcast and pass along such great information. You all have made my commutes to and from work each day much more educational and enjoyable recently. I am now going to back to listening to Stuck Mike Avcast as well as for my daily fix. Of course, the Stuck Mike Avcast is a general aviation podcast, and it's about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. So it's a little bit different format. We're talking about careers here, but it's the same thing. We all love to fly. He continues, I know you don't usually provide detailed information on specific schools in the podcast, so I... Uh, so I, I ask in an email. Uh, that's okay. We're going to talk about specific schools if we can now, uh, for now on, if we can, if we have the knowledge. I returned from overseas deployment a few months ago and have some GI Bill benefits to use. I'm aware of the 60% cap. Uh, I'm uh, in a great flying club close to where I live with excellent aircraft and instructor rates. But unfortunately, we do not have any complex airplanes or any VA-approved programs. First of all, Eric, can you explain what he's talking about, the 60% cap, real quickly? Yeah, so that's uh, academy or vocational training. If you go to a flight school that's approved for uh, VA benefits, um, they pay 60% up to that level at vocational training. If you train again through a for, through an institute of higher learning or IHL, the VA calls it, um, and uh, you're you're eligible up to whatever eligibility you have after coming out of service. So if you're 90% eligible, then you the VA pays for 90% of the estimated, I'm sorry, not the estimated, the minimum total flight cost for that certificate or rating, and you pay the extra 10% out of pocket or whatever the case may be. So the 60% cap applies to vocational training not associated with a degree program. Okay, thanks for the clarification, Eric. He continues, Since I have family down in Fort Lauderdale, Miami area, I was considered getting my commercial and possibly my CFI down there over the holidays by using some extra vacation time and going through accelerated programs. I've done a good bit of online research and read what reviews I can find, but wanted to know if you have any direct knowledge of schools over there. I know you're on the other side of the state, but figured it was worth a shot. By the way, I'm all over the place, so I get to visit schools all over the country, uh, and, and there's some really wonderful schools out there. But uh, as far as on the, on the uh, East Coast, there's, there's quite a few really good ones. There's some great ones in the center of the state, of course. Uh, and driving distance and weather-wise, it's a great place to train because you'll be able to bang things out quickly. Anyway, he continues. Once I'm done with that and building hours, I'm very interested in discussing career options with you in more detail. I don't necessarily have a burning desire to fly for the majors, but I think 135 corporate charter slash air taxi would be more my speed. I guess that would be more up Tom's alley, but we can cross that bridge when we get there. 
For background, I'm 34 in, with a bachelor's in mechanical engineering, and I have been doing damage slash defect evaluation and repair design for major military airframe manufacturers for the last several years. Uh, actually, that would be really cool to have you on the podcast to talk about that career, because I'd like to know more about it, and I'm sure some of our people listening would like to hear about it, too. Uh, I've heard you mention this as a suggested aviation career a few times now on the podcast for those who want to be involved in aviation but don't necessarily want to fly. <laughs> he continues, as an aside, if you have any listeners or coaching clients who'd like more information on that, please feel free to pass along their questions to me. I'd be more than happy to provide info on that and attempt to at least pay it forward with great advice I've gotten from your show. Uh, that's great. So uh, another person that we have in those career fields that we can pass information to, I'd love to have you on at some point to talk about that. As for flying, I started in late 2004, got my private in the spring of 2006, started my instrument rating, and then with just over 100 hours, life happened. Bought a new house, got a new job, and met my wife. I took most of the last four years off from flying due to lack of free time, although with my job, I was able to at least stay pretty involved in aviation and wasn't too terribly rusty when I did a flight review this spring. I'm currently getting back into instrument training and hope to have it completed sometime in October. I have about 160 hours right now, and with my instrument rating and incidental flying, should be shy of the 200 by then. Anyway, thanks again for your time and all you do. I look forward to hearing from you. Uh, the, the corporate 135 charter and air taxi uh, is, is a really cool thing. As a matter of fact, Eric, you have a little experience doing that, and uh, you enjoyed it, didn't you? Yeah, it was Eric's personal paradise. Um, you know, I, I went to college to be an airline pilot and sort of got out of that like the first week. Um, I, I had this idea of what an airline pilot – I didn't know anybody who was an airline pilot. I didn't have any, you know, role models. I didn't, I didn't have a podcast that I could write into and say, what's it like to be an airline pilot? Um, and so then when I started looking more at the lifestyle and things, it was like – well, I don't know that this is really exactly what I want to do. And so I learned more about corporate aviation and have always had an interest in uh, business and, and things like that. And and um, and, and admittedly, um, a little too much of a people person to not get to talk to my passengers on a, on a regular basis. So um, anyway, the corporate thing was perfect for me. It was exactly what I wanted out of aviation at the time. Um, and I absolutely loved my deal um, because it was a little bit of everything. I got uh, I got to do flight training. Um, so I had a lot of active flight students. I had uh, uh, just private air service work, contract pilot work, and then I had uh, 135 stuff too. So it was a little bit of everything. It was impossible to get bored because you were never doing the. I, I don't know that I did the same thing once in the entire time I was there. Um, and because I worked for a 135 that was primarily out and back day trips, um, I did three overnights total. Uh, so it, it was. I was at home every night. I was in my own bed every night. Um, and, uh, it was, it was great for me. It was exactly what I wanted. I, I, I like the 135 style. Getting me jealous here, being home every day in your own bed. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> well, I mean, like I said, I looked at some <laughs> lifestyle issues and was like, well, I mean, because you got to understand too, when I was looking at the airlines, I mean, you had to have five move landings and 10,000 hours to go to work for a regional airline. I mean, it was, it was tough picking. And I'm looking at it going, you know, that's a long time to sit on reserve, not making a lot of money. And, you know, this is a whole lot of money day one and a much more flexible schedule. And so that that really appealed to me. You know, if I were going through if I were where my students are right now, I probably would not have made the same decision because the pathway to an airline is so clear and so concise and so much more attainable than it was uh, when I was doing it myself. 
Awesome. Well, thanks, Eric. Thanks for that, that feedback. And, uh, you know, I, I really uh, think that what he's doing is a great thing in moving forward in his career. I know there's lots of challenges, but there we've all done it. We've all had challenges uh, starting off a little bit later in life. And we'd love to have you on the show. Uh, by the way, if you're somebody who has that type of career in aviation and aerospace that you want to share your knowledge about your job to inspire others and to help explain, you know, what the job is about, what you do every day, and and really inspire somebody to get into this this career, any other aviation career. I'd really appreciate that you uh, thinking about it and having you on the show. Hey, Eric, that, that's it for our questions. I'm um, thanks so much uh, for you coming here today. I really appreciate you being on, and we'll look forward to being on another episode. I hope. I absolutely love doing this. Um, I I I said this before, but I envision that. Uh, Carl and Paul and Tom and I are all kind of sitting at a table and we're all having a conversation <laughs> and there's all of you are sitting around just raising your hands and asking questions and stuff. And that's sort of, that's even though you're not really here, um, I pretend that you are. And, and thanks for, uh, thanks for the appreciation. Uh, we, we do this and I've, I've said this before too. Carl and I would do this if there were no listeners, just because we enjoy, we legitimately enjoy having this conversation. I would do this for one person. Um, and if it helps one of you make the next step to get into a, a very rewarding, very promising, fulfilling career in aviation, I have more than uh, I've more than done uh, my responsibility. But uh, anyway, I I appreciate the opportunity. I love being here doing this, and I look forward to coming back and doing it again real soon. Awesome, Eric. We do appreciate everything you do and all the information you bring here to us. And if you're listening today and you have a story to tell, you know, just write into feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Of course, that's where you can send your questions. If you're interested in coaching services, reach out to us, aviationcareerspodcast.com. Click on the coaching page. Look at our calendar if you're trying to, to schedule an appointment. You know, like I say, every episode, do something now to move forward in your aviation career. It may be something small, maybe a giant leap, but do something right now. I encourage you to do one thing. Try to pay it forward. Try, try to pay it forward right now by either writing into this podcast, telling us a story, one of your challenges that you overcame, a success story in your life, or go out and tell somebody else. If you want to come on the show and you want to be uh, interviewed, uh, believe me, the interviews are just like a conversation. You'll, you'll enjoy being on the show and, and sharing the information and it's something that you can pass on for the rest of your life, that you have done something different and you've changed somebody's life by just being on the show. We'd appreciate uh, your being on here. Well, folks, talk to you next episode and safe flying. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although hosts or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.